Welcome to Find the Magic, the podcast that will help you honor yourself, your kids, and your partner. We'll give you tips and strategies to create peace and authenticity within your family. We inhale a ridiculous amount of books and life tools and distill the information for you. I'm Terilyn Griffin. I'm Caitlin Gabriel. And I'm Felicia Allen. Let's find the magic together. Hey everyone, Caitlin here. I just want to thank you all for listening to Find the Magic. We are so, so thankful for you, our amazing listeners, and we think of you as some of our best friends. This was a review that I read recently that I absolutely loved. It said, the only podcast I religiously listen to. This podcast saved my motherhood. I listen doing laundry, walking, making dinner, sneaking those AirPods in so no one bothers me wherever I can. The mamas are like having coffee with best friends. And can I just insert here? I love this. Amen. They keep it so real. And during the pandemic, bless you girls, this time is so challenging. Sometimes I feel like I am barely getting by, but they make me laugh because they remind you that everyone is going through this thing called life and motherhood even now. Hugs and love from MJ. I just absolutely love this review and these reviews mean the world to us and we read every single one of them. So not only do they mean so much to us, but they actually really do help us here at Find the Magic. So I want to invite you guys, if you haven't already left a review for the podcast, we would love for you to because it truly does help us grow the podcast. And we just want to thank you all our friends for listening and for being here with us. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. If you are looking for a great gift for yourself or somebody that you care about, consider getting them a Find the Magic journal. It is a journal that each of us use daily that helps us with questions in the morning that it asks you and that you do a little bit of journaling to help you focus on what's important for the day and really make steps each day towards your goals. And then it also has a section to plan out your day so that things don't slip away from you. And there's even a section for you to reflect at the end of the day. And I have found that as I've used it, it's been so powerful for me in really living my life in an intentional way. So if you'd like a journal, just go to findthemagic.co and click on the top link that says FTM journal. So again, that's findthemagic.co and just click on FTM journal. Thanks so much. All right, everyone, this is Felicia, and I'm going to start us off with a face palm to the stomach flu. It's going around. I thought it was just in our family, and then it's in the carpool, and then it's <laughs> jumping borders. I don't know. And Caitlin has it now. And she's so not she, here. She's not here. <laughs> First adult to go down. We're sorry, Caitlin. Mm, yeah, it's very sad. Jeff went down yesterday. My husband oh, yes, too. I forgot So Jeff. we have two adults <sighs> two now. Two adults down. <laughs> but most children... Yes. All four of my kids got it two days ago in one day. It was actually impressive. <laughs> it, was, it was impressive. But I will say a high five to it being 
before Christmas. Yes. Because I really get sad when people can't mm-hmm. come to the activities because of sickness. I know. Get it so hopefully now. this is it, and then we're ready to party for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Just getting out the stomach flu before Christmas, you know. Making some room. I love it. Well, my high five goes to Felicia. Guys, I woke up to this. I was dreaming about this. And I woke up and <laughs> so was I'm like, high five. <laughs> anyway, and it is. So this is, this is to Felicia. Felicia, I don't know if you guys know this, but this whole podcast was Felicia's idea. Like, oh she came to me, <laughs> what, two and a half years ago? <gasps> Almost, Almost three. three. Oh, <laughs> we're about to have our three-year anniversary. Anyway, she came to me and was like, I have this idea. Do you want to do it with me? In fact, she had already recorded. You would already recorded that first morning episode. Yeah. And you're like, would you want to record your own morning episode to talk about your morning routine and then start it together? We had no idea where it was going to go. I mean, like <laughs> I had, all I knew is, yeah, I like hanging out with you and I like reading books and I like talking. So yes, <laughs> I'm in. What are we doing? I'm in. Anyway, so, so the words that came to my mind in my dream were Felicia is the one who heard this call, like... <laughs> It felt really poetic in my dream, but now that I'm about to say it, um, like, she heard, like, the beat of the drum. Like, she, like, heard it, and I didn't even know it existed. She heard it. She's the one who, like, has... It was her, just the whole idea, and I'm so happy where it's come. Like, this whole podcast. I had, again, no idea. I literally was just like, this sounds great. It sounds like something I would like. Yes, I'm in. And now, here we are, almost three years later, um, doing something that all three of us love. I mean, I love... Mm-hmm. I love the podcast. I love the reading the books we read. I love interviewing the amazing authors that we have or experts. I love all of it. I love now the hundreds and hundreds of hours that we've spent together <laughs> at five in the morning <laughs> doing this all because you heard something that I didn't oh, hear. I love that. So thanks for hearing that that sound, that call that I didn't. Thanks even, for jumping on board. I didn't even know it was. It was on those, like, you know, it feels like a meme. Like, it's like the thing, I like the goal I never even knew that I had. Or the dream I didn't even yeah. know that I had. But now that it's here, it's like, this is a dream come true. I love it. But I didn't even know it was an option. Before. I feel that big time about the podcast. It was sort of just, like, winging it at the start. Like, but now, every single week, I'm, like, excited. It's a little fire to stoke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's cool that it was in your dream. Yeah. Seriously, it was... And it, again, it sounded way more poetic. The line that was in my mind, it was like repeating in my mind, was Felicia heard this call at the beginning, and now she's the one who like still hears like the sound of the drum. It sounded really poetic. And now that I'm saying it, it's not quite as poetic. But you know, in dreams, things are really great. So I, th- I love it. I think it's poetic. And there's a little, you know... Henry David Thoreau, drum beating, walking, Ooh. you know, that kind of feel. But. Are you reading that book? No. What book? Um, His Journal. Have Walden? you read His Journal? Not Walden. I think it's called The Journal of Henry David Thoreau. No. And I haven't read Walden. But I just... If any of you are into this type of reading... I just started The Journal. And it's very like... So it's just like his journal entries condensed over like his lifetime. And it's really interesting how... He is so poetic from like... Young, 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 young. Mm. It's pretty, it's more for me, I can't just like read it through. It's like a read a page and like digest it type of a book. Yeah, Mm. but it's really good. No, it's just so poetic. Yeah, his writing's beautiful. Like, especially connected to nature. It's like, oh my gosh. Anyways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, his nature writing is great. We'll link it. 
<clears throat> I his his writing well and Ralph Walter Emerson were my favorite first like transcendental writers that I read in high school mm-hmm. that really impacted me and the way I look at writing. Mm-hmm. Although it's funny because now that I'm an adult, the more I learned about Walden, the less I realized it was like less less wild nature than I thought. Yeah. But still the writing's beautiful and the thoughts are amazing. Yeah, totally. So, okay. <clears throat> well, we today are answering some listener questions. So we get questions on Instagram in all of our individual pages and our find the magic podcast page. We also have questions on our reviews. So these are all great places. If you guys want to ask us questions, we just keep a bank of them. So we don't really respond so much right then. Cause that would take forever. And <laughs> It would be like our full-time job. Um, But we just keep, like, when we get questions, we just kind of keep a little list going of them. And then when we have common themes, we put them together and we just do kind of a, just answering the questions that come up. So, and it's so fun because there are themes. There's always themes. There always are. It's interesting. So these ones we chose are kind of representative of a lot of questions that we got. But the first one is talking about friendships. This one comes up a lot. So here's the question. I was wondering if you could touch on how to navigate old friendships when you have babies close in age and are parenting completely differently from each other. So first of all, you're in good company. This happens all the time. My babe is only nine months old and I foresee a huge issue down the road and I don't want to affect the only friendship I have. I only have one other friend other than my sister and mom and we have been close for about 11 years now. So I don't want to lose that friendship. She has a three-year-old son and a newborn girl and I have an almost 10-month-old son. After seeing the way she parents her son, I'm even more certain I am planning to parent the complete opposite way. The three-year-old is not being taught boundaries, patience, or how to be respectful. For example, he's given anything he wants if he cries loud enough to get it. She often tells me that I will do the same thing because that's the only way to get them to stop. Although I have not been through what I know will be a trying stage of motherhood, I plan to approach this very differently, and I feel that this will create a wedge in our friendship when my little man is or isn't allowed to do something the other is. For example, like watching TV, eating unhealthy foods, not respecting people, toys, etc. So my question is, how to navigate this with grace? I have already tried to send her resources when she's expressed that she is having trouble with something, but for the most part, she's not interested in what I have to say about it. I never offer any advice unless warranted, which I do understand since I have not been in her shoes. So my first, well, there's a lot here to to kind of unpack. My first thing that stands out to me here is uh, I've already tried to send her resources when she's expressed. That's something that when people ask for specific advice, yeah, there's nothing wrong with offering. uh, How did Claire Canfield from our episode on conflict call it he called it feedback mm-hmm. not advice mm-hmm. he said advice never works feedback when asked for specific feedback or inf- or did he say f- information? When, it's information when somebody's asking for information sharing information can be super helpful because we do have access to podcasts books mm-hmm. stuff that's like i'm so grateful that when i have asked somebody they've been like oh have you tried this mm-hmm. and i can read a book or listen to a podcast and it's really helpful to me However, just, yeah, if you're just offering stuff, I'm glad that this um, girl isn't off just like always giving advice Mm -hmm. about parenting because parenting is one of those things that we are all, no, really, I would say, I mean, with few exceptions, most people who we come in contact with are trying their best, right? I mean, there are totally exceptions to that, but I mean, in my own circle, 
most people are just doing their best. So if you're, you know, I think it's important to realize that we can't control how other people parent. And so wanting to try to have their parenting match up with our parenting is just going to be an exercise in frustration, right? Totally. So just because somebody else is parenting differently than you, you can just let that go and you parent your own kid how you want to. And then it kind of, you can allow this uh, letting go of this need for control because I think a lot of times we think if somebody's not parenting the same as us, it's going to like totally affect our kid or whatever. But guys, kids are smart. They know, yeah, my mom doesn't give me the iPad in the car and his mom does give him the iPad in the car, but it's not going to change my situation. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, my kids, it's funny. They rarely bring it up, but every once in a while they'll be like, oh, this person lets them do that. And I mean, it's not even like a thing. Like I'm like, that's, that's never a been a thing. That's thing about boundaries. Yeah. Like it's, it doesn't even matter to me what somebody else does. So, right. and, and they get that. So I think first of all, my first piece of information or advice <laughs> you're asking for here would just be to realize that it's okay if she parents totally mm-hmm. different, it's not going to affect the development of your own child. Right. So you can totally just let, let her go and you just model what you want in yours. And it really creates a lot less conflict in your friendship when you're not worried about that. Even when, I mean, for me, there's been a few times where I've had really close friends. For me, it doesn't bother me if they do different things with screens and stuff. If it's just on their own time, like, I don't care. Um, but it is hard for me when there's, like, a lot of shaming. Mm-hmm. It, hurt, like, hurts, it hurts my heart when I'll hear a parent say something really, really, that to me sounds damaging to their kid in front of them. Like, like there's been a few times I've actually like wanted to cry, but, but when it comes down to it, I can't besides offering and modeling, like I, I really can't, I can't control it. You know what I mean? Like I can't be like, I think that you're the terms you're using are not very helpful. You know, like what am Mm -hmm. I going to say? Unless in a one-on-one conversation later, anyway, I'm getting off into the weeds here. What I'm saying is we've all experienced it's going to be part of your parenting experience where people are going to parent different than you do. Mm-hmm. And really what you can do is model and set your own boundaries. Totally. And that's all you can do, right? Yeah. And I think what, what you... And set your own <clears throat> boundaries, sorry, with your own kids. Sorry. Not set yes. their boundaries. Yes. You're just setting... You just decide how you're going to parent your own kid. Yes. And not worry about that. Anyway, sorry. Keep no, going. no. I think that what you touched on with... Um, when they come to you, I think... Oftentimes, when I have this situation, my f- what I try to realize is that, and it sounds like this is probably how you feel too, your 11-year-long friendship is the most important piece, and it feels like, because you're parenting differently, that that's going to hurt your friendship. But I would just, like, my advice would be, it doesn't have to, and it cannot by you... Like, if you can let, like, let go of this, like, tightness you're feeling around this and realize it, you can maintain your friendship even if you're parenting differently, and that's probably the most important thing for you is to maintain that friendship, and that will allow you to be, you know, empathetic when she's coming to you with these issues. Try to see, at least for me, I try to see, like, past, like, what I think is wrong with like the behavior or how they're parenting and look to the like is she actually asking for the information or advice or is she coming to you as a friend for like 
you know, um, a place to vent out what's going on with her kids. Just being hyper aware instead of jumping straight to like trying to change or like teach her something I think would be um, helpful. And just for me, it's all about remembering this friendship is what I'm trying to maintain. And like whatever she does with her kids, it's not, you know, maybe in some extreme examples, you'll need to, you know, hold a boundary to protect your kid. Maybe the kid's like, you know, hitting or something and you step in, but there's not going to be a lot of times where you're even going to have to be interacting with how she's parenting like that. You know, I've had a lot of friends who parent differently than me and I can honestly say it doesn't really affect me or my kids hardly ever. And also I've had to, you know, get off my high horse that I was on when I had either no kids or younger kids and thinking I would never let my kid do that or parent like that. And you realize as your kids get older that you you can't control your kids. They're going to act a lot of ways that you never thought your own kids were going to act. And two, we can have the best intentions, but I think that over time we realize that our kids are each so different. We're going to go through stages of life where we're going to need to use more screens or we're going to be in a desperate time at the grocery store and we're just going to buy our kid those gummy bears just to keep them quiet, whatever. And for me, letting go of like parenting has to be this exact way for everybody else has relieved a lot of like contention that could have been because I let go of the, um, what's that? That really high expectation. I think it doesn't serve us in parenting because it's so, we never know what's going to happen. So to let it go a little bit sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the specific things she brings up here um, are watching TV, eating unhealthy foods, not respecting people or toys, etc. So just to break that down a little bit, um, if those are your concerns, then you can always, I mean, because the great thing about friendships is that for the most part, we don't live with our friends, right? So it's just at the park or wherever. So for example, if it is, a screen thing you're worried about as your kids get older, then yeah, make sure you're at the park instead of in their basement. Right. When you get together, um, eating unhealthy foods that you just have to set your own boundary, whatever you decide for me and my kids and friends, we, when we go to the park, cause it's mostly, honestly, when I'm with friends, it's usually worth the park. Right. <laughs> cause then they can just dig and make Rome. messes mm-hmm. or whatever. <clears throat> um, I always just, whatever food everybody brings, we just share it. And I don't, I don't limit my kids at all on what they can eat there. Like, I'm not like, oh, no, don't eat this their... This is our food. Don't yeah. eat their stuff because they brought it... You know what I mean? Like, for me, it's just... It's it's just part of the fun of being there is... So if a person brings something that I normally don't buy for whatever reason, it's for me, I just... It's fine. Yeah. But you got to choose for yourself if that's okay with you. Um, but I like the not power struggle of just... I, I don't really police what my what my kids eat if we're just all together as a group. Right. And then not respecting people or toys. Okay, I just want to point this out, that this is one of those things that when you have a baby, it feels like, yes, you hope your kid is never going to use that (laughs) grumpy voice with somebody else. But um, kids, they are at some point in time going to 
throw a tantrum. In fact, I can guarantee, mm-hmm. I, I'm going to say this with certainty, <laughs> that there's no question you're going to have a kid sometime when they're playing with somebody else. A kid's going to have a toy that they want and toddlers lose it. Like that's what they do, right? Throw it. Forget and someone. so what yeah. you can do is you can manage and we have all sorts of, we'll link the episode to this one, but like how to navigate tantrums, how to see them as something that you don't have to necessarily like stop, mm-hmm. but you can allow and not worry about it being a reflection on your parenting because people interpret tantrums as being disrespectful, mm-hmm. but tantrums aren't disrespectful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're a kid who doesn't have control because they're a toddler frustrated about something. <clears throat> and so so anyway, what I'm saying there is this also will apply to your own child. As as your baby gets bigger, it'll probably be a little a reframing of what you even see respectful as. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I do actually remember before I had kids and when I had a baby, like I thought tantrums were just disrespectful. Like, pff, that's just bad. Gotta control that. That's just bad parenting. <laughs> if you have a kid who is like hitting their fist on the ground, you got problems. Then I, and then, and then I had children mm-hmm. who were toddlers and I realized, and did a lot of research on it. And I realized, mm-hmm. oh, it doesn't mean, now there are a lot of things we can do to make sure they're not having tantrums all the time. Right. And they're not terrors, as we would say. Ooh, I shouldn't have used that word actually. <laughs> but um, <laughs> there are a lot of things we can do. But to, to say that we think that that's never going to happen isn't. So also there's just some reframing there. And even with toys, there's sharing issues that come up and that's the cool thing about that's actually a really cool thing about being humans is that we have to interact with people who do things differently than us Mm -hmm. and our kids learn the same thing our kids learn how to manage in fact there's been times where we have left the park when my kids are really little and they'd be like whoa that kid hit a lot like i didn't like being around him right and they learn Mm -hmm. they learn from other people who do things differently than them what they like and they don't like and you can have really cool conversations or that you know did you that hurt my feelings when that person wouldn't let me play with them. And you can have this great conversation of, yeah, that does hurt your feelings when that happens, right? So even though I don't want my kid to be the one leaving somebody out, when somebody else does that, although it's painful, there is something to be learned from this. So Mm -hmm. I would say, yeah, totally. You can still have a wonderful friendship and parent completely differently and not even have to be a thing. By allowing them to parent how they want to parent, you model how you want to parent in a really just loving way and know that you're going to learn from each other. And that's the cool thing about being moms together is that stuff does just come up and you can talk about it. And I mean, I'm so grateful for my mom friends and the advice when I ask for a specific issue, I have had friends give me really great resources. And when I say, I mean, Felicia right here, we've spent not just, I mean, we've spent hundreds of hours just doing this podcast. But that isn't even the hundreds of hours we've also spent <laughs> at parks while our kids are playing. And we do, we'll ask, you know, it's so great to be like, that didn't really work. Mm-hmm. You know, like, what's mm-hmm. happening here? Do you have any advice about this? I'm having a hard time with it. I mean, that's probably, what, 80% of our conversations. So true. We just sit there and talk about what's working and what's not working, mm-hmm. you know? So it's a great thing. It's a great thing you have a friend like that. that and it's okay if you do it differently. Yep, I would agree. All right. Our next question is from Hillary, and I'm loving this question for this time of year. We don't have the, the right answers, nor do I even know the answer or think there's a resource for this answer. So I loved it. I thought we'd chat about it a little bit. And her question is, do you have or know of anyone or any resources that talk about Santa and how to keep it magical, but also humble and not all about the gifts? 
I am 100% on board with the magic of Santa. I love Christmas, but how can we keep it humble and respectful or respecting that other families all don't get the same and make Santa not just about the gifts? Love this question for the Christmas season. And I, I think it's, this is such a tricky question because I <clears throat> feel the same way as Hillary. I love the magic of Christmas, but I do feel um, that disconnect. And I think I feel it really strongly because um, growing up, we didn't have big Christmases. Christmases? That seems like a weird word. Christmas eye. Christmas eye. <laughs> and um, I don't know. I don't, I don't remember um, feeling like the magic of Santa. <clears throat> and it's probably because my mom was in the situation of how can I build up all this magic around someone who brings you all this stuff you want and that's not going to happen. So mm -hmm. I think that I'm really sensitive to this. And so I will just share what I do with my kids and that's all I have to give. <laughs> um, so for, for my kids, they do... You know, I feel like their perception of Santa is from the world and like media, mm -hmm. movies, Santa at the mall. Mm -hmm. Like we didn't like, we're not like, okay, tonight I'm going to teach you about Santa, mm -hmm. how magical he is and what he does. I just feel like, you know, they've gotten remnants mm -hmm. and we don't go out of our way to be like, Santa is not real. And I, I know there are people who do that and that might work for you. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But for us... We, you know, our kids write a letter to Santa, which is very helpful for me mm -hmm. because then I know what they want. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they believe that Santa brings them one present and everything else is from our family. I like that because I think that it... So we usually, like, sponsor... Do, like, a foster kids Christmas. And I love that they're learning... Like, not everybody has the same at Christmas while it still holds on to a little bit of that magic of Santa still coming, but not the expectation of just this giant smorgasbord of all the toys they've ever wanted from some magical creature and no money's involved. So I feel like so far it's worked for, like, the balance of what I'm trying to teach, but maybe I'll go down the road and I'll change it. But that's what we do mm -hmm. right now. Yeah. I do it really similarly to Felicia. We have Santa brings two toys and they, uh, not toys, two things. They get to mm -hmm. choose the items in their list that they send and then everything else we give. But we, but even as I say that, it's like a handful, you know, mm -hmm. of things <laughs> that they get on the side of that. Just, you know, I always get, I mean, they always know that I'm going to get them a book because mm -hmm. I love books. And, you know, something like that but there's mm -hmm. not really a ton and for me same thing in that I've never I've never gone just because it doesn't resonate with me to like I don't spend a lot of time of being like if you don't believe in Santa then you don't get presents mm -hmm. and like it's we really do just get the message of Santa through the different shows that we watch at Christmas time that we love mm -hmm. and it's kind of fun because every show and book we read portrays him totally different so they're already kind of getting the message that it's mythical. Yeah, this this might be, you know what I mean? But I'm, I, but, and I know, and I do respect that some people don't like even 
having Santa be a part and some people are okay with the magic of Santa. I'm totally okay with the magic of Santa. Mm-hmm. And the idea that as they get older, yeah, they'll realize he's not a real person. But I think that we can bring... I don't know. I know... I mean, I love Harry Potter. I just love magic stuff. Mm-hmm. Even though I know that it's... I think that in our imaginations, there is something beautiful about magic. So I'm okay with the magic of Santa. Right. But I I like the... The our Santa, the our Santa, because it is every family, every family does yeah. Santa differently, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's great. You just choose what resonates and aligns with you. And for me, I do like the that our Santa just brings too, because it does make. And I love that Felicia mentioned the helping kids in need, because I think that more than almost probably anything else we just mentioned would help a ki- help a child know from a place of humility that we should be grateful that we're even getting presents mm-hmm. on Christmas, right? Totally. Instead of this idea of entitlement that we don't want. We don't want entitlement and materialism to be the main focus of our Christmas. So I think helping somebody in need, realizing that, yeah, not everybody has a family who can have this happen, like, to get the things you need. I don't know. I think that... Of everything, of everything you just said, that to me is, like, resonating. I actually want to pull this Christmas season, how can I help my kids with that? Because... Otherwise, it does kind of feel like a just, what do I want? What's coming right. to me? You know what I mean? And we do a lot of service within our family, you know, like we serve each other. We do a little like where you pull the names and serve somebody. But I think recognizing that other kids don't have that, I think is really, really, really valuable because it makes them grateful for what they do have. And it also maybe makes them more sensitive when they're with their friends or at school. It changes the way they talk. Totally. So I don't know. I think that's a really... And I love your perspective as a kid bringing that to us because I think that having experienced that, not having that like abundance at Christmas time, I think is really powerful and it gives you a perspective that makes us help us see and not just get so wrapped up in our own individual stuff. Families, yeah. And <clears throat> it makes me wonder what, you know, because I remember going to school and everybody would be you know, tallying up what they got for Christmas, which I don't think that that's wrong in any sort of way. I think that's totally like natural and fun for kids to do, but I remember really avoiding those conversations. And I wonder like just if that realization would help my kids be more sensitive to others, because I don't hold it against kids when they're, eh, you know, like they're raised in a, like, we are raising our kids with, we want to give them what they need and some of what they want, and I think that's really beautiful, and they are not, like, spoiled and ungrateful. Like, this is their life that they know. And, Mm -hmm. but how can we bring some awareness to other people's circumstance without, like, the, you're an ungrateful, like, you don't even care about everything you have filling. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But like, where's that, that balance between those two? And yeah, I think what you're saying about serving others and seeing others' life circumstances can be really helpful in those situations. Okay. Hopefully, hopefully Hillary, that will help you. I know your kids are really little, um, cause I know you and I'm not sure. Um, if that is helpful when they're tinies, but mm-hmm. maybe just lowering like the expectation of Santa. In fact, oh, I read this really good 
book that I, at the end I was almost like, it's not even, I don't think it's supposed to be the point of this book, but I'm almost like tearing up because if I were a kid who didn't have big Christmases and I read this book, I would love it. It's called What's Inside Santa's Bag, I think. I'll find it and link it, but it's really cute. It's all about a little lamb who goes on an adventure inside Santa's bag, and at the end, Santa puts him back in the little kid's stocking, and he tells the little kid all about his adventure. Now, just service level, you're not thinking this, but at the end, I thought, what if I was a, you know, we had a year where my mom repainted, she paint like spray painted really cute our bikes that were already ours and I knew that but if like I love this book because it could be a cool reframing like if their same toy is repurposed or like even just a sweet like oh in my stocking is my same like stuffy but he just went on adventure and sent us back like that was like like that's what the book made me think of like the magic of it for a kid who maybe I don't know it was just it's just a really sweet book and like in the book, Santa brings one present to each kid, and it's, like, a really small thing. I I don't know. I just think some sort of when they're little, like, reframing of the expectation of, like, the totally. grandiosity of Christmas. Totally. Be helpful. And if, since you know how old her kids are, my other thing, if you have small kids, yeah, it's all it's all about expectation. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've all read the Christmas Orange book. <laughs> yeah. My grandma used to read it to us many years and I remember the thing that I, I mean, the whole thing is about sharing, mm-hmm. right? That's, mm-hmm. if you've ever read that book, maybe we'll it's really it good. Yeah. Anyway, it's about sharing. You can share your gifts and it, it's wonderful. But what I got it from as a kid, I was like, she's pumped about getting an orange for Christmas. <laughs> you know what I mean? better get pumped. It yeah. is about perspective. So when you, when your kids are little, that actually be my main advice is whatever you do, if it is they only receive a book and one toy, they're mm-hmm. going to be pumped about it. Mm-hmm. The whole thing is the experience of Christmas. Mm-hmm. So... I don't think we need a, there is, it doesn't have to be a pile. It doesn't have to be right a certain amount, but when they're little, that's a lot easier to set. And I'm not totally. even saying, I'm not even saying that that's the best way either. I mean, do whatever you want, mm-hmm. but the cool thing is you get to make it up. Yeah. <laughs> this whole parenting thing. That's the cool thing about magic too. You get to make it up. Charge. <laughs> right? <laughs> like you set the rules for your own house. It's, it's a lot of power. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's exciting. Totally. Okay, our last kind of set of questions is all about moderation and whoo, baby, that's so (laughs) good, but it's kind of intense. So, okay, so we're talking about food and screen time and moderation. So this is the question that we chose specifically that really kind of encapsulates the feel. And this one is specifically about food, but we're going to apply it to screens because we get a lot of questions about those too. So this one says... You've talked about no or minimal snacks, but sometimes I've noticed in your your kids' stories munching on a bag of popcorn or chips or something or helping themselves to the pantry. This is a question to me, Felicia. <laughs> I can picture I can picture little Wes holding her her little bag. I think it's adorable. <laughs> the cute thing can I just say? Side note: babies holding bags, specifically Wes. I can just picture it's like her size, right? And she has to like hold it up to her head so it doesn't touch the ground. It's so cute. Anyway, okay, so yeah, this, let's see. Do you just let them eat what they find, even though they maybe shouldn't be eating it? I'm having this confusion with Charles. I feel like I'm being too strict, maybe, but he could snack all day and would never eat real meals if he had the choice. Ha ha. (laughs) Sometimes he doesn't eat lunch, but 
then asked for snacks 30 minutes later. <laughs> well, that sounds familiar. When I put Lena down for a nap, I tell him he needs to wait until the afternoon snack because I just made him lunch, or if he's hungry, he can go sit and eat what I made. Then I hear him rummaging through the fridge for a protein bar or something while I'm nursing, and he goes to hide in his room to eat it. He does this with treats, too. We have a treat with lunch and a treat with dinner, something very small, but even when I remind him, when he asks when treats are served, he will try to sneak it and go eat it somewhere else. I try not to make a big deal out of it, but I'm feeling frustrated, like I'm creating some unhealthy habits around food for him somehow. I also want him to be able to, of course, help him sometimes, but the choice of food is never great, or it's at a time when he knows he shouldn't be eating a snack. I need to reset reset somehow. I'm loving that this mother is recognizing, first of all, that when a kid is hiding stuff, that is a really strong uh, signal to us that we need to reset. Mm -hmm. So, because he's feeling, the fact that he's feeling like he needs to hide, I love that she's just aware of this. Like, I don't want to be setting unhealthy things and having him feel like he has to hide food is for sure, you know, going to be something that we don't want Mm -hmm. in his little mind so i love that she's aware of that she's noticing he's hiding so what do we need to do here so first of all i'm so impressed with your awareness there and i also just want to let you know before we really dive into this that you're not alone i cannot tell you how many times my kids have said i'm hungry and i say we're eating in a half an hour but here's some you know apples that i've cut up for you if you're if you want them before dinner you can totally have them and this is what they say. I'm not hungry for apples. I want Oreos. <laughs> I mean, so oh, classic. we've all, and I've actually experienced that myself. I'm not hungry for that, <laughs> but I'm hungry for this. Or even after I eat sometimes, like I'll drink a smoothie and I love my smoothies. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's just not enough chewing for me. Yes. And I'll be like, so I'm not hungry. I just want to But I just want to munch on some potato chips, you know? So anyway, so I just want to point out before anything. Good job on your awareness. Second of all, you're not alone. This mm-hmm. is very common. So, mm-hmm. But then let's see if we can give you some tools here to help. Yeah, so I would say um, that what you're being aware of, the hiding thing, is the only thing that I would be like, oh, not loving that about the situation. I think your kid, I think Charles wanting snacks in between meals, so, so, so normal. I love how you've set up the mealtime expectation and the snack time expectation and I think as you go on that will serve you well and he will just be an amazing eater the hiding thing is what would make me concerned and you know Terlin and I were discussing this and what we kind of thought would be a really good idea for a reset and this is also what I try to do with anything where I can tell my kid feels slightly like they need to hide it from me. Mm-hmm. Screens, mm-hmm. any actions of mm-hmm. hiding-ish. You know, you walk in and you mm-hmm. can tell mm-hmm. <laughs> they're yeah. trying to hide it. Um, I think a really good idea would be to totally neutralize it. So he's got his protein bar. He's hiding behind the couch when you come back from nursing. <clears throat> and it's like, oh, that looks good. You want to come sit at the table and we'll share that together? Or go sit with him. Mm, you got a Snickers? Can I join you? total neutralizing take away all the power and changing it from this like forbidden fruit behavior that he has to hide into like my mom's totally accepting of me 
she's leaning into that I'm hungry in a different way and like take just take away all the power of the hiding the snack and I would you know set some sort of time frame you might see it see it wane in a few days like he might mm-hmm. just realize mm-hmm. oh I don't need mm-hmm. to do that might take a month but yeah. like set some sort of time because you don't need to do that forever it's right. just you're noticing this is a the hiding is a problem and so to counteract it take I would say yeah a few weeks a month of yeah. like you don't you just lean into it every time mm-hmm. yeah yeah and I I think that that sort of a reset would neutralize it and then you can move into okay what's the next thing um I know, I think Charles is around four years old, which I think is an age where he can start to really understand when you eat and also has the ability to stretch between meals feeling like slightly hungry. And like I like to say to my food, my kids, your food's going to taste better at the meal if you're not snacking in between. So use the, some sort of tactics like that. Um, when my kids are younger, so for listeners who have like, younger kids, I would say under three-ish, you know, like with Wes, she, if she goes and like finds something to, that she wants to eat, like say she wanders into the pantry and pulls out a bag of cereal, I don't want it to be a big power struggle tantrum. Her like verbal skills and like reasoning and understanding aren't quite to the level that I would like really be strict about it. So I'll usually take out, you know, like a small handful and put it in a little cup. So it's like, you know, not ruining the mealtime, but not turning it into this big power struggle. That's just what I do. I don't know if that's helpful to you or not, but I think Charles is old enough to, once you remove that hiding thing to where you can start to have that like stretch between the mills and if he's not feeling that super like strong like fight from you, I think he would start to move into understanding that. That being said, kids are still gonna push back about it and want snacks. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. I would say most not most days, but at least a couple times a week, one of my kids before dinner time is seriously like wailing, like not actually crying, but like, I am so hungry. Right. And this is after an after school snack. Right. <laughs> So my, my, I guess my only other tip is, um, to make, so yeah, first of all, you can take the power struggle out by leaning into it and actually sitting with him when you find him sneaking, like, oh yeah. And not even mention like, you shouldn't be doing this mm-hmm. just, just lean, like make it so it's not something he has to hide. But then my other tip would be emphasizing, which it sounds like you're already doing this, but just emphasizing the really positive experience of eating together when you do eat lunch together, knowing they can't make it most kids can't make it from lunch to dinner. So making sure they have a yummy snack. So making sure you have those positive things so that that them being hungry for those things is its own reward, Mm -hmm. right? Like I love it when my kids come from school and they're like, Ooh, what's our snack? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And not that, and I'm just to be clear, I don't have this amazing snack every day. You know what I mean? Sometimes it is just sliced apples, but every once in a while I'll get them like at our grocery store, they sell really yummy sushi. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So like sometimes I'll have sushi or every once in a while I'll do cookies and milk or, you know, which Mm -hmm. I know is totally a treat, but it's okay for me. Mm -hmm. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Um, but to have it, I love it when they like, you can tell they're excited about whatever snack I have Uh for them when they get home from school. So making that like a positive experience, I think the combination of making it not shameful. So he doesn't feel like he has to hide 
combined with really making the other mealtimes a positive experience, I think in the end it will like work itself out. But my, if you want more, there's also a book called How to Get Your Kids to Eat But Not Too Much by Diane Setter, and it's all about taking the power struggles. And we'll link that book, but it's literally the whole book is how to take power struggling <clears throat> out of our kids eating, but also have them have a healthy relationship with food. Combined with intuitive eating is another one that I always go to just about the idea of teaching our children to honor their own hunger. So how do we do that? And we also have a couple episodes about this. So we'll, ooh, and how to get, how French kids eat everything. Yes. <laughs> yeah, because they really focus on, yeah, they do no snacking, which in my house, my kids have access to snacks, but I don't, it's not like a hard, like, policed situation, right. but I do just try to emphasize the actual meals and I and I actually say I do say if when it's close to a meal time, I always say if you're starving, yeah, you can totally have an apple or these carrots, but no, we're not gonna eat Oreos right before dinner. Yeah. Like, we're just not gonna do that. Um, so that's I mean a time where I'm pretty strict about it. But um, but those are some really good books if you're wanting like a little bit more in depth or more tools there. But it sounds like you're doing a really great job at having having positive meal experiences. And you're recognizing that you don't want him to hide it, which I love that you're being so aware of that. But that totally goes along with, and and even this, I don't know, with sugar. I don't know if I'm doing this right, guys. I really don't. But I grew up in a house where we had a candy jar, always. And it always had candy in it. And I rarely even ate the candy. If I wanted it, I'd eat some. But like I really didn't eat it that much because it was just there. There was no police on it. There was no lock on it. There was no nothing. There wasn't even times a day that I could or couldn't eat it because there was a piece of candy. Like, I'm not going to fill up on a dumb, dumb sucker, right? right? And my mom, I, I loved it. Like, I actually think it really helped me have a really healthy approach towards food because I wasn't overly obsessed with sugar because it wasn't this forbidden fruit. Nor was I a sugarholic because it kind of lost its, like, it wasn't that exciting. But my friends who couldn't have sugar at their house, I mean, they would come to my house and I remember watching them being like, you guys have a problem. <laughs> you know what I mean? into our candy. Like, they were just like, I mean, I, they were, and candies that aren't even good. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to offend anybody here, but like a baby Ruth. Like, right. they'd be eating it and I'd be like, Ruth. oh, gross. <laughs> and they just, I mean, because it's sugar. So they'd like, mm-hmm. and they would totally like hide it because their parents wouldn't let them have it. So because of that, I don't want my kids to feel like they have to hide. My, my husband's really, he had a friend growing up who his mom won't let him have sugar. So he hid sugar cereal under his bed at night so he could eat it in his room, right? So that's not, I mean, we know that's not great healthy behavior. So I don't know if it's the right thing to do. Honestly, I don't know what the treat jar, what's the right thing to do. That's what I do. I do have a treat jar. I think my problem is, I think I just put too many good treats in it. I think I need to put more baby Ruths. <laughs> more baby Ruths. <laughs> Less <Lemon> Reese's. Heads. <laughs> Less Reese's or something. Because I'm not sure if I have that down correctly. But I I know that my goal is to have my kids not feel like they are, the food is a power struggle. Yeah, I want them sure. to learn to honor their own hunger. And I also want them to learn, like for me with my own body, I don't like how I feel after I eat just a bunch of candy. Yeah. So... So it's my body that's telling me, mm-hmm. right? That's our my goal in the Intrinsic, end is yeah. that they are on the inside feeling because I am offering them enough really healthy fueling foods. My goal is for them to be like, you know what? I felt great after I ate the avocado. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I'm going to start craving. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? 
because that's how I feel for me. Like when I drink my smoothie or whatever, I love how my body feels. So mm-hmm. that's the reward. I want them to trust their own hunger. And, and I, you know what I mean? So totally. in order for them to learn how to that trust though, one thing I know for sure is we do have to remove the power struggle, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that grazing is the answer either. Right. Because they're never going to learn to fall in love with those healthy foods that we offer them at meals. Because grazing is generally, I mean, unless all you have at your house is carrots and apples, you know, grazing generally isn't the most fueling kind of food. food. So as I say that, I get that I'm saying that we need to teach our kids to honor their own hunger and to not have it be a power struggle. But then, yeah, the tricky part is then how do we set limits and create really actual hunger at meals right so and maybe as i'm saying that maybe our outward circumstances is maybe the key to that making our meals important Mm -hmm. and yummy and something offer them something that they're going to eat but then maybe not putting chips in a place where they can reach (laughs) yeah maybe and and i'm saying this my chips are on the bottom thing so my kids can get to them Mm -hmm. so i'm really just brainstorming this as i'm talking but and somehow we need to find a way to make it not a power struggle, but also help them be hungry for meals. My kids are usually really hungry for meals, though, mm-hmm. so I've never really considered it a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe there's something super, like, concrete in the situation. When you were saying French kids eat everything, it made me think. I've noticed that um, if I can be really aware of how, what's the right word, satiating my meals are, so having mm. more, like... Um, more full fats in my meals or like sweet potatoes or, you know, like um, really nutrient dense like meats and like those, I feel like kids, they do need a lot of fuel and oftentimes the foods that they like are really quick, like pasta or something like goes through mm, them really fast. It makes them hungry in half an hour. Yeah. Mm. So finding those foods that are more like nutrient dense, maybe he is really hungry. hungry. I don't yeah. know. Like sometimes mm-hmm. I've noticed that my oldest is very like, he is like eggs, meat, bread. Like he really needs some heartier foods to feel full. Mm-hmm. So maybe there is something really concrete in it. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But that maybe cause in French kids eat everything all, when <coughs> you do any sort of like veggie, it is not like, here's a, here's a carrot stick that you know, when we care, when I eat carrot sticks, I feel hungrier, to be quite honest. <laughs> so they'll make like... So much chewing for so little satisfaction. <laughs> so little reward. You know, they'll have like broccoli with a really good like butter sauce or whatever. And obviously it makes it way, way yummier. And mm-hmm. also maybe he is just like, I need a little more like food, food that is filling me. Yeah. I, but I feel that in myself, just as you said that. Because <laughs> I feel... Especially when I'm using my body a lot, using my muscles. If I don't eat a really satisfying breakfast, it's almost like there's like this... I mean, and you just gave me a bag of chips. I would eat that. I would eat 17 yeah. bags of chips because it's not satisfying, right? I think, I think you just hit a very important part. Good tips. So what we're saying here is take away the power struggle. No need to hide. I'll join you with it. Make your meals really satisfying. That's really good. And by that, kids do need fat. They Guys, really do. They need all those good fats. And and honestly, I, mean, I can feel it in my body. I need it too. Me too. If I don't yeah. eat enough, like I can feel, it's like a, 
yeah, it's a weird, it's interesting because as I'm, I'm trying to describe to you guys as I feel it, but again, I really notice the more I use my muscles, the more I need this. But I can feel it when I'm missing one of those important things, like missing a protein, missing some fat. It's like I've eaten and my stomach's full, but my body still wants more. But it's easy to fill it with, like, if all I have is chips in front of me, mm -hmm. it's like my brain thinks, well, maybe this will do more. it for me. Yeah. But it doesn't. It mm -hmm. doesn't satisfy. So yeah. those are some really great tips. I love that. All right. And this applies to screens. Yes. So everything we just said here... Kind of place to screens, except for the tricky thing for me about screens is I don't want them to learn to honor their own hunger with screens. So for me, I'm actually a lot more strict with my screen mm -hmm. stuff because our brains, the way screens are, unlike food, screens are so artificial. Our brains actually aren't designed for all the dopamine hits that screens give us. So I personally don't think that besides there is there is some kind of intrinsic motivation here on if we pay attention to how our brains feel after screens then yes we will realize that our brains don't want too much screen time right mm -hmm. too many games because everybody's i mean even as an adult i feel it you kind of get this weird like brain fry feeling yeah kids are more grumpy after they've been on screen so i mean there is that for sure and i do want to teach my kids to honor their own hunger i guess you could say in that you want to feel good and too much time on screens doesn't make you feel good. So I want that. But I am pretty sure if we left kids to their own devices and just gave them free-for-all screens, the way screens are designed to pull our brains in, very few children would be able to moderate themselves here. So the question is, how can we do the same thing? How can we make it not this forbidden fruit that they feel like they have to hide? Because I've had my kids before where they're hiding with screen and I feel I mean I just feel sick about it right it's like oh my gosh this is not what I'm trying to create so I have found the same thing that Felicia just said about food works with screens I'll sit I'll be like oh you found because I I just try to make sure that my kids never even know where the iPads are mm -hmm. they bring them out they bring them out for their they have this very specific amount of game time that they play on Fridays and then we watch like Spanish movies sometimes whatever you know if it serves us and then we'll watch movies as a family so we're still getting plenty of screen time but but the games itself are just i mean that's really really limited in our house and and i like that i don't want it to change i don't want it to be like the candy jar where it's just always there and hopefully it'll lose its i don't Monster. want that because if a tv's just always on they're not gonna be able to enjoy the imaginary play and all that kind of stuff because our brains aren't designed to be able to do that so for me, that means actually putting screens away. But but when you do find them hiding it, for me, that means this is this is showing something. Like, I'm going to create an addictive pattern here, and I don't want that. So if I find it, I literally, like, I will, I'll sit down with my kid and be like, oh, so you're playing Minecraft. I'll sit with him for a minute, and then be like, it's not Minecraft time, so we're going to, but I don't, I don't even get mad at him for it because I don't want it, I don't want them to feel like it's something that they have to hide. Mm -hmm. And as they get older, I talk to them about the benefits and why, I, my 10 year old actually just the other day was like so upset. She's like, I don't get why you don't let me just play the game. And I'm like, it's because I'm in charge of the development of your brain at this age. And so, sorry, it's because I, I actually just care about the way your brain works. And I think later you're going to thank me. And if you don't thank me, that's okay too. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's okay. But you can be upset with me about it, but I'm still going to hold this limit. But I also don't want to create shame around it. So when they break my, I mean, it's one of the few when they do break it, for me, it's just, I just want honesty about it. Like, I just mm -hmm. sit down with them and make it into, a, like, a 
because I noticed when I was doing the like, hey, it's not time for that, and mm-hmm. I put it away, then they just feel like they need to hide it more. Totally. So for me, it's removing removing the stimulus. So for me, again, 90% of the time, my kids don't even have access to an iPad. And anytime they do accidentally have it and I find them, I just make it not into a big deal at all and just say, but just as a reminder, you know, it's after I spend a minute with them, it's not, it's not Friday. We're not having our time right now. And I just Mm -hmm. put it away so they don't feel like they have to hide it later. But those are my only tips for that. And we have full episodes devoted also to very specifics on that. But yeah. Yeah. I think that's so tricky. And as you were talking, it made me think about, um, like our quality of leisure. So like if screens, games, like whatever are like the Oreos and then we have like free play nature outside over here is like the really nourishing. Yes. Like our body gets confused. And I think especially kids, like if they, like you were saying, have those like dopamine hits, um, it's really hard for them to appreciate this nature time because their brain is so like getting that addictive, like reinforcement. And so that's honestly, I vacillated on this, like, Oh, do I need to just chill? And like, this screens are here. They're here to stay. Like, just let them do the screens. Cause that's a lot of people's philosophy. Totally. And people who I really admire, you know, just like, you know what? We live with screens, just put in front screens. Yes. Yeah. And honestly, it's, easy and I can get a lot more done and yeah it just feels like there is a lot of management of the screen so for me I try to take away as little take away as much of the management as I can because that's not fun as a parent and that's the part that we don't like is the the battle about it so it's like the boundary of this is the time you can do it and then also just the access like if they're not there Mm-hmm. They can't, you mm-hmm. know, like, what are they going to do? So, um, and then when I'm saying, oh, do I need to just chill and embrace it? I have these little pings in my mind from all the reading and research that we've done of like, but my family values are that they, you know, learn to work with their boredom and be creative and that my, like their little brains have the ability to enjoy over here this part of leisure where they're actually creating and playing and so as much as I I get the just chill out part I do think there is so much value in helping your kids create a healthy relationship around screens because most of us who are parents right now we innately had that Mm -hmm. no one had to build that into our childhoods like what Saturday morning cartoons, like that was as crazy as we could get. And I think that it did. And even, but we fill this around screens. Like that's how powerful Mm -hmm. they are. Like our whole childhoods, we didn't even have them. And we're still like, Oh, I can't resist. Yeah. So my brain, I struggle with totally time. Totally. Mm -hmm. So these, I, I just look at like teenagers and the struggles that they're having around screens and I'm like, how can I set my kid up for success for when they get there? Yes. And I, I don't know if any of this is going to help, but it does. That is what motivates me to be super aware of screens now. Yeah. I think it is. I'm with you. I think it's <sighs> worth setting the limit. And as you were saying that, it really dawned on me that this totally, the same exact things apply here. When you're talking about the meals being nourishing versus free play and imaginary play being nourishing, 
are we making it satisfying? So are we giving them opportunities for imaginary play? Are we letting them go outside Mm -hmm. and spend time out there? Because it's those other things. If they're literally just sitting in a room by themselves, well, they actually, that's imaginary play. But are we giving them opportunities slash encouraging them to develop that? Because if they do, that stuff is satisfying to their brains. Mm -hmm. Screens are inherently unsatisfying that's the nature of them the more you consume the more you want they're not satisfying at all i mean again we know this as adults and we were introduced to them as fully developed brains but especially for a kid's developing brain there's nothing satisfying about screen time Mm -hmm. you're never like my kids never when their timer goes off on fridays are like oh i'm like that was great every (laughs) single time they're like they're like, you can tell about to say no. And then they look at me because they know if they complain about it. Because that's part of it is when the timer goes off, you just got to be done. So they're like fighting with themselves like, no. But, and then they're cranky for like a full hour. I mean, we pay for it every time. True. I mean, I've actually considered, do I just need to just all together to get rid of it on Fridays even. But, um, but what I'm saying is screens are not satisfying. So mm-hmm. are we giving them chances just like are we giving them opportunities with food to be introduced to really satisfying foods? Are we doing the same thing with their experiences? Are we giving them chances to f- learn what it feels like to be satisfied with being by yourself in nature with friends you love, connecting with other people, that kind of stuff. So I really think it applies to the same thing. If they're hiding stuff, that means they're feeling a little bit of shame. How can we do that? Take away the power struggle. But then set a limit, right? Mm-hmm. And are we giving them chances to be nourished yeah. physically and with their minds? And that includes good, real food and real experiences. And screens are not real, guys. Right. They're not. Yeah. They're just everything on the, them is yeah. fake. I mean, even our own stuff. We'll put the link. We have a whole episode just on our own. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hate to break it to you, but social media pictures not aren't real. Like, yeah. They're not. Like, most of what we engage with, even people who are really trying to be real, there's no way to know a person all the way yeah. online, right? So it's just, let's tether ourselves to real things. Yeah, for sure. I second all of that, and it's tricky. We're with you. I think there's also the element of really lean into that and value their boredom and the friction that comes with it. And instead of using the band-aid of the screen, letting them work through the squabble or not knowing what to do or that itch right before you are creative, I think is so important when it comes to screens. All right, guys, love your questions. They're so great. Remember, you can leave us a question in a review or on Instagram, and we appreciate them so much. Let's find the magic. Brown cows. <laughs> <laughs>